we need to be able to be adaptable to change, right? We don't want to fall behind. So we always want to fight the good fight. And, you know, everything that we do as emergency managers is to protect our community. And uh, that's something that I feel strongly about that we should never stop fighting for. In a world filled with chaos and a myriad of risks, there is opportunity. You're listening to Riding the Wave, project management for emergency managers, where we discuss how we adapt and rise above those rolling waves of hazards and threats we face and rise to the top. And now your host, the president of Pinnacle Performance Management, Andrew Boyarski. We have as our guest today on the podcast, uh, Kit Lee Demery, who's the Senior Program Manager of Business Continuity at the legal firm Proskauer Rose. And she's also an adjunct lecturer at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, where she teaches policy and decision-making in public administration and program management. Kit, I wanna welcome you to the podcast. Hi, Andrew, thank you so much for having me today. Well, the first question I want to begin with is what inspired you to enter the field of emergency management? Growing up, I've always known I wanted to work in an area where I can help people and make like some kind of meaningful impact on people's lives. And I know that's super cliche. Um, (laughs) I mean, who goes into EM and not want to do that, right? But I've always seen people in my life go through a lot of hardships uh, and coupled that with media portraying distressing tragedies. I've always thought, you know, I how can I help these people? Like, I always wanted to, I wish I could do something, anything, right? But I never knew how. Uh, I specifically remember one incident where, uh, this was during 9-11, um, I was at home sitting on my couch watching TV and the news kept on relaying the same information, showing the same awful images that you see in here uh, nonstop. And I remember one of the news anchors saying um, how like all these volunteers were distributing water and doing all these wonderful things at the World Trade Center site uh, after it happened shortly. And I remember I was wondering how I could be one of those volunteers. Like I wanted to help. I you know, but I had no idea there how I was young. And it was during the time where like, you know, Google wasn't really a thing yet. So I couldn't go online, like search for, you know, how to get out there. And, you know, and so I remember telling my parents that I wanted to go into the city uh, and see how I could help and what I could do. But of course they told me I was crazy because it was too dangerous. So you're not allowed to go. (laughs) So I just remember just being there and just feeling so sad, so powerless and useless and, I didn't know what I could do. And I knew it from that moment that I never wanted to feel that way again. Mm. And so when, you know, usually when, you know, an emergency happens, normal people just run away from it. I'm the opposite. I'm the type that will jump right in and try to do anything I can to help with the situation. Um, And then when I started applying for graduate school, that's when I learned about emergency management. Um, and then I started working at um, New York City Emergency Management as the start of my career. And that's when I truly fell in love with EM. So you've worked in a number of roles in both the public and private sector. What do you believe uh, the, are the key actions to getting buy-in from leadership stakeholders, especially when the average senior executive is pressed for time, doesn't really, you know, understand why what you're asking them to do is important. How have you engaged these leaders? So 
I feel like getting buy-in is probably the number one most challenging task for an emergency management person, um, especially if you have a constantly changing, you know, leadership. Um, it could be in the city, you know, you have a new commissioner, and now these assistant commissioners and deputies are all changing. Uh, private sector can be the same exact thing too. Um, once leadership changes, you know, it's a whole different ballgame. A couple of things come to mind about buying from leadership. I think the first seems kind of obvious, but it's crucial to know who your leadership is. Who are those key decision makers within an organization, right? And then determine um, who holds those executive positions or play those significant roles in decision making. Know your C-suite, um, know the brass of the agency, uh, because if you don't know who those people are, then you won't know how to cater um, that buy into. And then the next thing is to build rapport and relationships within your agency or your company. So a lot of times I hear people say that, you know, I'm just going to work. I'm going to do my thing, what I need to do to get paid and go home. And that's it. I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to build relationships. None of that. But you can't really do that as an emergency management person. Um, from my experience, those who adopt that kind of mindset tend to have difficulties uh, garnering support. Uh, people are more willing to listen to you and help you and implement the programs that you want to implement if they know who you are. So um, you want to establish a good network within your organization and find that one key person that has the ears to the to leadership to help be an advocate for you. And then strategize, you know, think about, you know, what leadership wants, put yourself in their position, right? Think about all the reasons why they may say no to you or, uh, and then come up with some good reasons as to why no may have some sort of detrimental impact to the organization. Um, and I think those are some of the ways where you can really help advocate for yourself. And lastly, I think, you know, do your research, um, no matter if you're trying to implement a new tool, a training program, or a new process, find out what other agencies, academic institutions, or private sector companies, whatever sector you work in, what they have done that might be similar initiatives that you want to take. Um, a lot of times um, we want to use this as a benchmark in our approaches uh, with leadership because they tend to want to know what other people are doing before they implement and see how they're using these tools or this program. And, and uh, that helps kind of helps solidify some of that buy in a bit. But of course, you know, we need to be able to be adaptable to change. Right. We don't want to fall behind. So we always want to you know, fight the good fight. And, you know, everything that we do as emergency managers is to protect our community. And uh, that's something that I feel strongly about that we should never stop fighting for. Over your career, what methods have you used that have proven effective for emergency management uh, as well as business continuity program planning? Because I see that you you teach uh, decision making and policy in public administration, especially as it concerns mm -hmm. program management. And also in light of the need for sustainability over the long term, how do you uh, help address challenges with implementing mitigation and response measures in the long term? And I know for a lot of folks, when they think of mitigation, they think of you know things like the physical berms and other things that go on. But there's a lot of other ways in which mitigation measures are developed and carried out in organizations. Yeah, absolutely. I think that like one of the first thing is to really uh, have a good risk assessment 
ready, you know, um, about your organization and identify those potential hazards and vulnerabilities so that you can target those mitigation responses to those specific threats. Uh, if, because if you don't know what those are, then what are you preparing for? What are you trying to mitigate? What are you trying to respond to? Um, another thing is fostering uh, cross-sector collaboration and communication with your internal departments. I think it's really important. Um, you want to establish that strong partnership, as I mentioned earlier, uh, because this really ensures a good coordination and efficient response to not only during emergencies, but also, you know, it'll help strengthen your uh, EM and BC program um, because you have that relationship built. And then uh, we all know as EMers, uh, <laughs> training and exercises are, you know, important. You know, regular exercises not only enhances our preparedness right, for the uh, organization, but it also helps us identify what areas we need to improve upon. And then if you train people, we want everyone to be on the same page. Um, no, no one emergency is the same. We want people to be able to be prepared for anything. Um, and so it's also a great way of using training to have uh, community engagement in that sense. Um, and then the last thing I think of um, is technology. You know, technology shouldn't be feared. Um, as we see, you know, we're learning about AI now, and it's a little scary sometimes <laughs> with AI. But at the same time, there's so much, so many tools out there that can really help you, right? And you know, if you have the budget and the ability to, I say implement these things because um, it serves a good purpose. It really takes the legwork out for an emergency manager and a business continuity professional. I always say the goal is to work smarter, not harder. <laughs> and so technology can really help out with that. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, recently, the newly installed president of IAEM, it's always a mouthful when you say that acronym, yeah. the uh, International Association of Emergency Managers, uh, Justin Cates, uh, who's a uh, contact of mine in my network. Um, you know, he said that one of the things that's important for him is, you know, how do we engage with technology? How do we utilize, uh, you know, the the what is it currently, you know, in the ether and as far as artificial intelligence to our advantage to enhance our work? We do fear technology, but you know, we have to embrace it in many ways. We we've got to provide the value added and be the human in the loop when it comes to those sorts of things. Absolutely, I agree. One thing I think on that note, and you know, it's I, I just taught a course on program management for the American Management Association. I want to ask the question, how many of you are also program or project managers and you're also doing the work as part of the team? I think almost every hand went up. So uh, how do you handle your work being a one man band? And I should correct that being saying, <laughs> and I know that that's the common saying People of our generation yeah. are used to hearing the one-man band. I should correct and say a one-person band. <laughs> um, yes. So being a one-person band um, has its challenges. You know, depending on the organization that you work for, you know, it could be a big one or a small one. It's uh, it's a heavy task. What you know, what I've learned that. I've had to do is really rely on my support network, not only internally but also externally. Internally, I have to, you know, identify who can be part of my, what I call like a incident response team, basically. So in some cases, I kind of build my own. 
um, you know, if, if I have several offices and or whatever it may be, I identify key individuals in those areas uh, to come together and basically help me during an incident and basically show them how it impacts them and why they need to be part of that response. Like generally, you always need someone from security, right? Uh, generally, you always need someone from uh, the IT department because if you have a power outage somewhere, then your servers are down and what are you gonna do? Um, so I have these group of people within my own organization that I can uh, leverage for help and things like that. But then sometimes when you're you know, doing all that uh, and if you're by yourself and you're the only one uh, um, who's uh, who's uh, the subject mat matter expertise in this area? Sometimes you you start to feel like you're in your own silo because you don't really have that other professional who's in the same field as you to bounce off ideas within your same organization. It's like, oh, I wanna I wanna do this training for my uh, for my offices, but you know, how well received do you think, will, think it will be or what other nuances do I need to incorporate in this and that? Um, and so I rely a lot also on my outside network. So I do a lot of networking and I try to do as much networking as I can. One, I like meeting people and I'm just generally a, a people person um, and get to learn, learn about folks and what they do in their sector. Um, and I work with them, with my peers and, you know, I'll set up separate meetings outside of work and, you know, basically have conversations with them, brainstorm with them, you know, see how they approach certain situations and how they respond to certain situations. Um, that way, you know, when something happens, you know, you know, you know what you're doing is the are the right steps and that, you know, you might even gain more ideas um when speaking to other people as well and plus when there's an emergency that occurs the great thing is that you have the, this network now that you can utilize to help you with your responses also so if you build a good partnership with say nypd or the fbi or dhs or fema or, or oem you know you can if you build a good enough a relationship you can text them you can email them you can call them and they'll be more than willing to help and that really contributes to how you respond in your own organization. Yeah, that's a really good point. And one of the things is I always teach in my classes, especially for uh, the younger generation, it's not just the know-how, it's the know-who. Mm -hmm. It's no, you know, and not just at, you know, senior levels, you know, we talk about, you know, making sure that we get the buy-in, sponsorship and things like that, and cultivating that uh, connection with leadership as you you know, uh, you know, mentioned before, but it's also folks at our level and also at lower levels in the organization. You know, it could be as, you know, when it's interesting during Hurricane Sandy, I remember uh, I was deployed out to some of the various schools to help with emergency sheltering. And during the course of the training that we had done in the prior years, made me familiar with so many folks when I showed up there and I saw the head custodian for some of those facilities and say, hey, how are you doing? They rem remembered me and mm -hmm. they were like, what can I do to help? That just changes everything. It really opens Absolutely. the door. Absolutely. And, you know, the more people you meet, the better, too, uh, for you. And, you know, it, it's really helpful. And you're right. It opens the door to, you know, not only opportunities also for you. Um, but also, you know, willing to help and information sharing resources like it, you know, people are 
people are very helpful <laughs> when they want to be, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially in an emergency situation, yes. you know, I think those particular situations like Hurricane Irene, Sandy, certainly some of the more recent you know, people come out. And, you know, as you said, there are going to be those people who rush to help when there's an emergency. So that's what you got you started. And that's what keeps you going. Absolutely. So you, you teach public administration at John Jay uh, and conduct hands-on training for emergency response. What do you feel are core competencies that the next generation need to have to be effective as an emergency or a crisis response manager? Um, I would say uh, having problem-solving analytical skills because you want to be able to use those skills in diverse settings, right? So it doesn't matter what sector you go into, you should be able to um, use those skills. You want to be able to have also strong collaborative skills and uh, with diverse stakeholders, you know, and having those um, having effective communication skills is very, very important. You want to not only be able to use your communication skill to facilitate, you know, and coordinate between various entities, but you want to also use those communication skills to be able to com uh, convey complex information to your audience in a way that they can understand is, you know, we use a lot of jargon. There are a ton of acronyms like IAEM. <laughs> uh, there's so many out there and, you know, someone may not know what an EAP or EOC is or anything like that. And so <laughs> we have to remember to speak like a normal person. <laughs> um, and the only way to do that is to have that communication skill and, you know, stop thinking like an EM person for a second and talk like other people. Um, and then, you know, the drive for continuous learning is very important. Like you want to be able to, you know, you want to make sure that you're embracing professional development training. You know, you want to learn the best practices. You never want to fall behind, you know, and again, network, 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 you know, very important. You know, build that professional network, you know, collaborate with your peers, learn from others in the field. Um, they're a great source of information and, you know, great people to brainstorm with. Um, Another thing I can say is, you know, internships, volunteer work, those are really great ways to gain experience. And, you know, when, you know, when you first start out, you know, focus on getting that experience rather than the, making the big bucks. I know that's easier said than done because we all want to make a lot of money. Um, but, you know, the money will come as you grow in your career. You know, start out learning and gain as much experience as you want. And then, you know, I also think that a lot of times we tend to forget to focus on ourselves. Um, we need to learn ways to, you know, cope with stress and challenges. So I think that's one key thing for, you know, young professionals is to learn that. Um, this is a field that's very challenging, very stressful, but yet very rewarding. Um, so, but we don't want to forget about, you know, why you want to be in this field. When, when you're under a lot of stress or facing tons of obstacles, Sometimes we forget why we are in our field. Uh, and so we can't forget that. So our mental health and overall health are, is number one. Because um, we always you know, focus on our jobs and how we serve our community and things like that. And then one last thing would be um, when you're working whatever sector you're in, you know, consider the social, economic, and cultural aspects of that sector. Um, EM and BC principles are all the same across the board, but the way how emergency management, this continuity, are, um, is practiced, 
uh, may vary across sectors. So you need to know the different needs of each sector and the ways you can reach those communities. So if you're working in an academic uh, institution, you know, you have faculty, staff, and you have students. You can't, you know, train people the same way, all the same way. You can't initiate the same program for everyone. So things need to be tweaked a little. So it's important that you learn about everything about that, the place that you work at. So uh, what are some of the things that you would tell an audience of folks uh, about the work in emergency management business continuity? Um, why should they get into this type of work? They should get into this type of work because it is so rewarding, uh, even though it is stressful, but you know, you you learn how to adapt to various things in life. No matter how crazy a situation will be, you know how to stay cool, you know, calm and collected basically, right? And you know how to respond with, uh, with a proper mind, I guess, um, and not, you know, be terrified of every little situation. You know, I've seen a lot of folks uh, who don't go through training or who are not in the field. When a crisis occurs, they don't know what to do and they just freeze. For emergency management, you develop all these skills to know how to be that calm, cool, co you know, collected person to do that. And also, you know, at the end of the day, it's also not a boring job. Uh, every day is different. You can be writing a plan one day and the next day, you know, there's a civil unrest happening as, you know, things are like that are happening right now. Or, you know, or there's an earthquake or a hurricane happening. And so your days are always different. Um, one thing I knew about what I wanted to do growing up was that I didn't want to be stagnant and I didn't want a want repetitive work. I found that to be very boring. Mm -hmm. And so this job is not boring. Uh, and you met, and you get to meet some really cool people along the way too. I wanna thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it was great talking to you about your work in emergency management business continuity and you know, what it takes to manage stakeholders you know, throughout the chain. Thank you so much, Andrew. This was great and thank you for having me today. We had as our guest, Kitley Demery, who is the Senior Manager of Business Continuity at the legal firm of Proskauer Rose. You've been listening to Riding the Wave, hosted by Andrew Boyarski, President of Pinnacle Performance Management and Clinical Associate Professor in Emergency and Project Management at NYU and John Jay College.